Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Frederick Smock, a former poet laureate of Kentucky, died in late July of a heart ailment. He was 68 years old. Smock, a much-beloved poet and writer in the literary community in the state, was named Kentucky Poet Laureate in 2017. He wrote five collections of poetry and several prose books, including Craft Talk on Writing Poetry in 2008. He was a longtime professor at Bellarmine University in Louisville. Today on the Think Humanities podcast, we'll hear from many writers, poets, and editors, all friends of Frederick's, who will talk about his poetry, his writing, and his gentle nature. Another former Kentucky Port Laureate and friend, Richard Taylor, begins our tribute to Frederick Smock. Portrait of Julia, age 10. She sits on the edge of a pool, wearing a bikini, gazing at the water, seemingly lost in thought. The day is cloudy with a light breeze from the west, but I know what you are thinking. No poem and no painting equals five minutes in a schoolgirl's life. Already she has Sappho's eyes. In time, in time, the sea will rise in her and she will shine. Frederick Smock. And Richard Taylor, thank you for the poem. What do you remember about our friend, uh, the now departed Frederick Smock? Uh, I've known Fred for, gosh, 30, 35 years. Uh, we've read together. I visited with his family. I knew him when he was uh, married in, during that period of his life. I knew him when he edited uh, The American Voice. Fred was, as to use a word I've heard already once today, Fred was a gentle, gentle person. And his poetry, I read an interview in which it was said that Fred said that he didn't write poems just about anything. There had to be a kind of special event he did not feel any desire to meet a quota, as I think so many poets do. Whatever I say is golden, and I need to get it on paper. Fred was very sparing in what he wrote about. There's a poem of his I use uh, every semester I teach Introduction to Poetry, and it's a poem called In a Country Church. And it's a poem in which the poet is sitting in a country church, and beyond the pulpit he can see an open door. And through that open door he can see cows uh, in the field. It's a Kentucky spring, he mentions. And he ends the poem not in describing the next world, but finding heaven in this world, as he's sort of mesmerized by what he sees out the window. It's a beautiful poem. 
both of you uh, were port laureates. Right. Um, what is it about that position, uh, which Crystal holds uh, today, uh, Crystal Wilkinson, uh, the, the new port laureate of the United States, Ada Lamone, uh, was just named, yes. uh, 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 someone who lives uh, uh, here in Lexington, outside of Lexington. What does that position do and what do you suspect it did for Frederick to further what you want to do as a poet uh, with poems across the state of Kentucky? I think the idea is, uh, the stated idea is to promote the literary arts in Kentucky. Uh, Fred was very interested in language and so much poetry that's written today is simply a kind of effusion of feeling with very little attention given to careful language. And I think Fred was a person who was centered on language. In fact, I can remember, and I, because it made such an impression on me, he said, you know, every poem, Richard, has one subject. I said, what's that? He said, the subject is language. And uh, the more I thought about that, that, you know, of course, the feeling grows out of the artful use of the language, the use of image and metaphor and rhetorical positioning to create uh, an ideal form. And Fred did that very successfully in poem after poem. I knew him through his association with Gray Zeitz at Larkspur Press. I think he did four or five books with, with Larkspur and uh, it just, they were quiet books. They were not strident. He was not particularly interested in promoting any kind of social criticism, but he was interested in excavating ordinary experience and finding the extraordinary in that experience. He wasn't an activist poet? I would not describe him as an activist poet. I think he was also, from everything I know about him, he was a really devoted teacher and his, his students idolized him as, as he honored his students. Uh, what to say, what else to say about him? Uh, we will miss him. We will miss him. I'll miss his humanity, his, his kind of unique view of things. Very low-keyed, understated, but incredibly perceptive. Uh, I think Fred is one of those persons who fully devoted his attention to the world and the mysteries and the miracle of our experience on the planet. Smock was a student of well-known novelist Sina Jeter Naslin at the University of Louisville. Sina spoke of his gift of seeming to always choose the right words to put on the page. Sina, thanks uh, so much for taking some time to talk about your friend Frederick Smock and his passing. Uh, tell me what you remember about him. You know, my memory goes a long way back. I think his master uh, degree dissertation or thesis at University of Louisville was the very first one that I conducted 
when I came here in the mid 70s. And even then I was struck by Fred's poise within himself and in dealing with others. He seemed to me to be a, a careful person as well as a caring person about how he was relating uh, to other people. His poetry was often uh, very small and short. Uh, it was the kind of poetry made of grains of gold, I might say. <laughs> Everything was so carefully selected, even uh, that long ago. And he's continued to write in that mode. It's the mode of the beautiful. Uh, he, he believes language can be beautiful and that he can shine it up and make it beautiful <laughs> through selection. Uh, and uh, I really found him to be unique among all the poet laureates, all of whom I admire for one reason or another. But Fred was himself early on and he, con he continued to mine that vein of cold, co not cold, mine that vein of gold that uh, ran through his polite and rather formal uh, nature. So I have compared his poems in my thinking to have to a gym because they're so carefully honed and shaped. The angles are all there, the lines are all, all there. But I don't want to leave it just saying it's gym-like because that doesn't have enough vitality to it. So I think of it, his poems also as sort of single flowers that are worthy of a great deal of attention and respect. Why flowers? Because they're living and his voice is a living voice. Uh, you can feel it feeling his way along what he wants to say. Do you think in his work you see and hear and read, he loved poetry and he loved language and he loved sharing that? Yes, I very much agree. And I would add, and he loved the world. And he, he wanted to catch uh, those moments in time. He was very aware, I think, of the passage of time and how we're bound and shaped by time. I think it's one reason his poems are so short. He was almost doing that out of politeness, not to take up too much time. And yet he wanted to make a contribution uh, that, that counted. So I'm uh, aware of his poetry as object, as insight, as sharing, and as giving, giving us a moment that was his moment. And it's almost an equivalent uh, there. He's a very extraordinary uh, poet in his handling of the reader's time. He's not going to um, pack things. He's going to give you the essence, the pure gold of what his thought is. Uh, poetry can be used and is used in so many uh, different ways. There are messages that uh, poets send. There are activism uh, uh, that uh, sometimes uh, enter into a poet's uh, mind and a statement uh, that, he, uh, that he or she wants to make. There are, uh, of course, just beauty and sharing, as we've talked about Frederick's work. Do you think, what was he a message poet? Did he have something that he wanted to prove or to uh, win over an audience by by his words? 
I think so. I, I think that he wanted to say to us, be alive, be alive in the moment. And um, I think he wanted us to be aware of the shortness of the moment, of the brevity of our time, and for us not to waste it or squander it in any way. He uh, has a, a sort of love that's communicated, a love of simply being. And I, I do think that um, he wanted to help us all to live more fully and with more sensitivity to the gift we had in being alive, merely in being alive. But he did uh, appreciate uh, small things uh, in themselves. I'll, I'll read you just a tiny uh, one of his little, little poems. This is from um, the collection called Book of Earthly Delights, one of those many beautiful books that Larkspur Press put out for Fred. And he, he says, the poet's job is not to speak, but to listen so that things may speak through him like the wind in the marsh grass. Sina, uh, since you have his book there, um, could you select another little short poem and, and read and give us another uh, flavor of, uh, of Fred's work and, and why it's important to you? And um, Gray Zeitz at Larkspur does such wonderful uh, work for so many um, in our Kentucky writing community. And uh, his, his work, uh, his uh, publications are, are just stunning and beautiful, and he's now known nationally. Um, and Frederick was uh, a frequent uh, publication of, of Gray's. So uh, do you have another one there that you could share with us? Yes, I, I will read a, a, another of his poems, and it, it's about the poet. Solitude of the poet writing, solitude of the reader reading. Between these two solitudes runs a deep river running fast with electric blue fishes. And isn't that wonderful? Between those two solitudes runs the deep river running fast with electric blue fishes. I mean, those blue fishes get you there, don't they? The image uh, of that. And, um, you know, even though he's speaking of solitude, uh, solitude, but wait a minute, you wrote and I read, and that's not solitude anymore. <laughs> so there's a kind of paradox in the ability to overcome our isolation through poetry, and I think through the other arts as well, and, and through nature, which he often took inspiration from, as he does here with his uh, electric blue fishes. <laughs> so uh, there is often a surprise, a hidden gem or jewel in uh, Fred's poetry. You're, you're walking along on, on the grass and suddenly there's something that glints in the grass and you lean over and pick it up and, and it's a golden nugget or a piece of silver. <laughs> and uh, there's nothing pretentious about the poetry, but it speaks out, it reaches out to the reader and with such gracefulness. Sina's daughter, Flora Schaldnick, was acquainted with Smock while studying for a Ph.D. in Humanities at the University of Louisville and part-time teaching at Bellarmine. She reflected on Fred's life and writing in a message to Sina and said, If I could add something that ought to be said about Fred, 
it would be that he was a true believer in the power of art and poetry to open us to the lives of others and, importantly, care for others. And I really think Fred thought this was achieved through the ways in which art can make us pay attention to those around us and to our own inner voices and feelings. She also wrote to Cena and said, I remember walking into a classroom to teach at Bellarmine. This must have been in 2019. That it was in the classroom that I knew Fred had taught a literature class that had met earlier in the day. On the board, in his distinctive handwriting, I found these three quotes in this order. Art teaches tenderness toward existence. Galway Kennel. Art replaces indifference with attention. Guy Davenport. Attention is a kind of prayer. Simone Well. This really made a kind of impact on me, she said, to remember that art, that poetry can inspire tenderness and attention in a world where we are so often distracted by flimsy things, by the pursuit of material success, by the pursuit of money. Fred believed in the intrinsic human value of the arts in a way that was unabashedly passionate. He was a true champion of poetry and of life lived in communion with the arts. I'll have more on Frederick Smock's life in just a moment. We'll hear from former Louisville Courier-Journal editor Keith Runyon and Frederick Smock's dear friend, poet, writer, and painter, Nana Lambton. First, a word from our underwriter, the Naslin Mann Graduate School of Writing at Spalding University. At Spalding University's Low Residency MFA in Creative Writing, serious writers thrive with one-on-one -on -one faculty attention in a supportive community. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, or writing for TV, screen, and stage Stay at Louisville's historic Brown Hotel during week-long residencies or travel to Paris for short-term study abroad. Flexible scheduling and affordable tuition put a top-tier MFA in reach. Learn more at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Keith Runyon is well known to many in Louisville and Kentucky. He was book editor of the Louisville Courier Journal from 1989 to 2012. He retired from the paper as editorial page editor that year. He often asked Frederick Smock to write reviews for the paper's book page. Keith, you wrote such a beautiful piece uh, in the Courier Journal uh, that was published uh, a few days ago about the passing of Frederick Smock. If you could share your thoughts about um, uh, about writing that, and and then you also have uh, some other work that you've done uh, for this podcast, which you're going to share with us. Well, thank you, Bill. Uh, there's nothing I would rather do than talk about someone like Fred Smock, who I think helped make the Courier Journal book page one of the special ones in the uh, certainly in the Upper South. We did have a reputation that was established a long time ago by Mary Bingham, the wife of Barry Bingham Sr., whose daughter, Sally, actually, later became book editor and shepherded a lot of my early reviews onto the page. But she, as much as anyone, helped 
to discover and groom Fred Smock. And he became a true fixture on the, on the Courier-Journal book page doing reviews mainly of poetry and fiction written by regional authors. And it is hard to overestimate the impact he had on regional writing. I think if you would go to anyone, uh, the big names as well as those who are lesser known, they, they would tend to agree. Uh, sadly, his byline dropped off the page uh, almost 10 years ago when the page folded, but Fred kept on going through teaching and his certainly his great impact on his students will be felt for decades to come. Keith, um, for uh, those who don't remember the book page, uh, or for that matter, many uh, book pages across this great nation of ours, uh, but uh, gosh, I remember it so fondly uh, in the Courage Journal growing up uh, as a reader uh, in my young life and uh, all the way through. Um, as an editor of the book page, and you can talk about yourself, you can talk about Sally, um, how's that process? Um, is that just as uh, simple as someone uh, sending in a book to be reviewed and then the editor chooses someone to do so? And, and how did Fred fit in into that, uh, that maze, uh, which uh, then becomes sometimes a, a bestseller? Well, it's an interesting process, and it began long before my time, so it was pretty easy for me to fit into the pattern. In general, the relationships between book critics in a newspaper like the Courier-Journal and the book editor were personal ones, and many times I, as book editor, or Mrs. Bingham, or Shirley Williams, or Sally Bingham, who were the, my uh, three predecessors, would turn to people they knew, either through academic contacts, through journalistic contacts, or even among their friends, because often uh, they were privileged to have friends who were bright and well-read and awfully good writers. In the case of Fred, he came to us as I understand it, and I believe it was when Shirley Williams was book editor. This would have been in the early 1980s. And at that point, he was, um, I think, just finding his way as a poet and as a writer. He did do some teaching at Bellarmine, and I think he may have taught at Jefferson Community College for a time. I'm not positive, or Spalding. I first met him, oh goodness, I would say in the late 80s. And then in the early 90s, we got to be really good friends through the telephone. We didn't see each other in person, but if a book came in that I thought would appeal to him, and in those days, the publishers would send us what they called review copies of books which were often published in advance of the date when readers could buy them. We would send these out to potential critics, some of whom would say, oh, wonderful, I'd love to review this. And a few others who were kind of prickly would send them back or not respond, which you learn to live with. Fred always responded and almost always 
uh, did a review of a book I would send. I can't remember any that he turned down unless it may have been something written by someone he knew too well to be objective about. He also had a very special love for his native state of Kentucky. He was born in Owensboro where his father was a radiologist and they moved to Louisville in the early 50s when he was a, a small boy. He grew up in the Fern Creek area on a large piece of property where he enjoyed nature and walking and uh, went on to Seneca High School, which in those days had terrific English and journalism departments, still may, I'm just not as well acquainted. I went there for three grades, seventh, eighth, and ninth. I would have preceded Fred by a couple of years, but uh, it was a, a good place to be if you wanted to learn about literature and writing. What do you think um, Fred learned in his uh, early years about being a, a critic? And did he, uh, I think you mentioned, he primarily uh, reviewed uh, fiction, um, but I'm sure there were, uh, uh, there was a poetry book or two uh, that he took a look at also. Oh, if I said primarily fiction, I, I need to be corrected because oh. he did uh, a lot of poetry. In oh. fact, he, I had three critics in my day that were my main poetry critics. He was one of them. Joy Bale Boone, who was another poet laureate of Kentucky. Mm -hmm. The first. She was the first. That's exactly right. And uh, happily, she was a dear friend of mine, and she reviewed many of them. And then Wade Hall, who was a longtime professor at Bellarmine, a very prolific writer, and truly, uh, like Fred, had a, a huge impact on not just the uh, literary world in our region, but on the students of our region, because at Bellarmine, he taught literally hundreds of young people about literature and instilled, like Fred did, a love of poetry. I think that Wendell Berry may have been Fred's, he, he probably, it would be hard for him to, to list a favorite poet, but certainly over the years, Fred reviewed a lot of Wendell Berry's poetry. And I think there developed a, a deep affection uh, for Barry's work in Fred's heart. Do you think that Fred um, was influenced uh, by the poetry that he reviewed? Was he, um, tell me how a poet would separate himself from uh, the work that he's reviewing. And I'm not talking about uh, plagiarism, obviously, mm -hmm. and of course, but just about uh, uh, subject matter, mood, um, uh, nuance, uh, uh, the, the, the way Fred seemed to write was, was quite different from uh, a lot of other poets uh, in many ways. Uh, they, they all have their attributes and strong and maybe some weak suits. Uh, how, how was Fred influenced by the work that he reviewed, if at all? I don't know if I can give you a good answer on that one because I, 
I saw finished products. I didn't really go through the thought process with him. I do know that his poetry was extremely spare and was, uh, I think, finely, finely honed, almost like a smooth piece of wood that had been polished and buffed. But he was still able to review poetry that was quite different from that, some of it lush and even flowery at times and admire it. I don't know though that I can tell you what his thought process or his artistic approach would be, but I can say that no matter what he chose to review, the criticism was always extremely well finished in the way his poetry was. He edited, edited himself quite carefully. One never had to change a word in his reviews, or if one did, this editor doesn't remember it. Yeah. Uh, uh, he was pretty much ready to go. He was, incidentally, the first editor of a magazine published by the Kentucky Center for the Arts back in 1982, I believe, when it first opened. And then later, Sally Bingham started her own literary quarterly called American Voice, which was designed primarily to publish regional women authors, uh, published through the Kentucky Foundation for Women, which she set up with some of the proceeds from the sale of the Courier-Journal and other media properties. Fred was selected to be the first editor of American Voice, so he shaped that publication and I think it was an indication of his great talent that Sally, who was uh, a very determined and effective feminist, chose a man uh, to shape the publication that she hoped would mold future women writers. And he did that with great skill. Keith, you said uh, to me um, that uh, you had you had found what you, you think might be Fred's uh, final um, review for you? He, he wrote about the most influential professor he had in about 2015. He was, you know, focused on teaching. And I think that as much as uh, being a writer, published writer, and a critic, it was teaching that was his true passion. Final question, um, how should we, how will you remember Frederick Smock? If you met Fred, you would have known that he was an extremely civil and almost cautious person. When he spoke, he thought carefully before he said a word, and often I think he self-edited which is the opposite of most of us. Most of us just work things out and then think later, oh, I wish I'd said it this way or that way. I, I can't ever remember a conversation where Fred seemed to be in that position. I think that he brought a pretty stern set of values to his work and probably to his life. I didn't know him personally very well, but I certainly knew him through his writing. And there, he was a, a very lean person, 
he was tall and spare. And that is the way his writing was, and that is the way his speaking was. And I think he was not a person who, he may have written a book with the title, as he did, The Book of Earthly Delights. But if he had earthly delights, I think they were those of the spare and basic variety. That is how I'll remember Fred. I won't remember him as a uh, an overly wordy or uh, tiresome person. He was never tiresome, but he was also strict. I think he was strict with himself, strict with, strict with his writing, and right up until the end, he was moving along. We talked just a few weeks before he passed away. I ran into him at the Uptown Cafe and we agreed to get together for the first time in years over coffee. Well, sadly that didn't happen, but I think he was looking forward to the future. And I think that he probably had a lot uh, yet to write, but in the time he lived, which was really a long time, 68 years, he produced much that will remain with us for a long time to come. Another close friend of Smocks is writer, poet and painter, Nana Lampton. Frederick Smock was uh, a friend and um, someone you admired and someone you spent some time with. Give us your reflections on his life and his passing. I was very lucky to be appointed to read with Fred Smock when I had my first reading and it was my first book. And of course, Cena did that. And Fred had a very generous spirit. He was a teacher in the fullest sense. He wanted to include people and to encourage them to understand that poetry is a distillation of the invisible. And that is very hard to see, but all of us try to see. And uh, Fred read all of my manuscripts and marked them. And he, he was very kind in his uh, sometimes praise and I would correct this and this and uh, I just had the greatest respect for him. I know that he was a beloved teacher at Bellarmine and uh, I, I just liked being around him and he was very generous. Tell me more about what you think um, was inside that contributed to his kindness. Uh, he was so gentle uh, he was always uh, quick to uh, critique, but in a, a manner which made you feel like you were the best writer in the world. He was supportive in every way. The last time I was with him to any extent, he had fallen in love until he couldn't stand it. And he could barely uh, get through the day. He was so madly in love. and. This is a young woman with great promise and great intent and forward thrust, and she was uh, an actress. And, and he was just absolutely blown away. And he pursued her and they were married, I think, I'm not sure it didn't matter, but they were together for quite a while. But it became pretty clear that Fred was a little bit of a stepping stone. And so off she went to pursue her acting career. And he was heartbroken. 
He, it just, but he, the depth of his feeling to witness that was something. Did he write about it? Yes. And I have most every book he wrote. I just gave the very first one that I love um, with the big oak tree on the front to Cena after I read, so I don't have it. Now I wanted to talk about that poem that talked about the sweetness of an orange grove and how he wanted to go into it. And I said, he's gone into it. Mm -hmm. What do you think um, resonated about his, uh, his work, his poetry? Uh, he understood something that I just read about with Rilke. It's about the strength of a short poem and, and how, how hard it is, how difficult it is to write a short poem that shows the insight, that gets to the point, the deep dives. And I think these short poems are just magnificent. And he understood that, you know, that, that they could evoke a lot from the reader. Do you see in his work uh, the strength of his, of his uh, words, of his imagery? Um, he was able to tighten it up. Do you want me to read this yes, one? Let's, let's this one was devoted to James Still, a writer from Heinemann who went all over the country. It's called Doves on the Ohio for James Still. Mornings, the river, is broad sweep and ever-changing surfaces belongs to the doves perched on cornices of the old hotel or nestled in the rusty pilings. This whole human enterprise resting on poles sunk into the water. Slowly the guests awake are drawn to the riverbank, lives floating past so spare yeah. has been used so many times yeah. in my conversations with his fans um, lean. lean that's a good word but he understood it. I mean he's like Lee Poe and how Lee Poe could speak about fog in the mountains and you could walk into it but and you have another example this is under moonlight for James Baker Hall someone I admired a lot the storms have passed swift in their judgment, and now the rain is falling from lush boughs of pine. We step into the garden. Wonder becomes us. What secret, night-blooming and fragrant is the Sirius? It's a night-blooming Sirius. It blooms once a year. And I remember a night when Nash Cox had me come when something really big had happened in my life, and the night-blooming Sirius bloomed that night. And so it's the sort of thing that he has brought that into the poem, but it connects me to it. And any reader. And you have another example, one more? Well, let's, let's have Garden Court as the last word Good. here. Yes. Garden Court was built by the Nortons, a classical house that embodied culture with music and writing and everyone loved going there. Garden Court, impelled by dry leaves, Underfoot a cockeyed sun, here in this rustic garden I linger gallant and solitary, fellow among the blooms. Swamp candle and loose strife, lyre leaf sage, low fountains, murmuring water bruised slate, storks bill aprine amid the agrimony lilies, sea rockets, red hawk wheels in the slow cool air, a scavenging blossom, the obedient flower may yet 
escape into the wild running on vines underground. So he's talking about where he's just gone. So well, I was going to say as a poet, um, you know that uh, descriptive phrases, words, take a reader, take a listener with you, with the poet into a garden or an observation or a, a weather event. Um, and he does that so well in that poem. He does, and we're going to really miss him. He was a, 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 he set the standard for well done, good poetry. And, you know, lots of people, but Lloyd told me something, Lloyd Kelly married his ex-wife and they were, they were sort of friends, but he told me something as an artist that I've always remembered. Every artist has a thumbprint. You honor the thumbprint if it, if you like it or don't like it, if it's skilled or not, every artist has a thumbprint. And what was Frederick's thumbprint? Well, his, his own style. And he, he allowed others into his universe because he admired the effort, the, the knowledge that people presented. And you've seen poets say, wait, that's a bad poet. No, there's no such thing as a bad poet. It's a thumbprint and it's just different from ours. So I think that was good. So we bless him. Thank you for speaking with me. Yeah, I'm gonna miss him. A good man. Frederick Smock's life will be celebrated this fall at Bellarmine University when students, some of his writing students, will return to campus. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.